0: Welcome to S2 Underground, a freelance intelligence agency fighting terrorism, fake news, and political tyranny around the world. Hello again everyone and welcome back to The Underground. So today we are going to be taking a look at a very, very large topic and one that is actually quite troubling to even think about. With the rise of the coronavirus, has a sleeping giant been awoken with regards to biological warfare? So before we begin to unpack this idea, let's talk for a little bit about the coronavirus itself. Even before the first case was reported outside of China's borders, the internet exploded with theories surrounding its origin. Originally, Chinese authorities had thought, or at least they had claimed they had thought, that the virus had originated from an unclean, open-air wet market. To the layperson and experts alike, this is a plausible explanation as other viruses and diseases have made the jump from animals to humans in such environments. The swine flu and avian flu epidemics are what first comes to mind when thinking of this type of origin, even if they aren't exactly, you know, perfect examples. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, conspiracy theorists sprang up from their Cheeto-stained couches and decried that the coronavirus is actually a secret biological weapon that either was created and released by China, or was released by the U.S. military into the global adrenochrome supply for further uh... combating the secret war among the global elites while this latter explanation is quite far-fetched uh... we personally believe that the true answer to the origin lies somewhere in between the two extremes uh... although we almost certainly will never know the true origin of the coronavirus you see intelligence analysts regardless of employing agency are pretty much all the same uh, and have the same problems Imagine trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle with one puzzle piece missing. It's a bit more difficult, isn't it? Now imagine putting together a jigsaw puzzle with 80% of the puzzle pieces missing. Now imagine putting together a jigsaw puzzle with 80% of the pieces missing, half of the pieces that remained are painted a different color, a heaping handful of pieces from another puzzle altogether, and the corner pieces, actively growing legs, running away and trying to hide from you. Oh, and by the way, you've got five minutes to complete it because you have to brief your boss on the intricacies uh, of the puzzle picture within the next ten minutes. That's what it's like to be an intelligence analyst. So, with all that in mind, intelligence analysts around the world have developed plans, structures, and systems to help with this struggle, and at the risk of sounding self-important... That's why the opinion of an experienced intelligence analyst cannot outright be dismissed. It is these opinions that we hope to hear over the coming years, especially regarding our topic today. As we just mentioned, many agencies right now, be they journalists or actual intelligence agents uh, and agencies, uh, they're trying to determine the origin of the coronavirus. We think that's just a waste of time, and here's why. For one, even U.S. military and civilian analysts are probably never going to know the true origin of the coronavirus, just due to the nature of intelligence collection capabilities within the communist nation. Um, Additionally, even if the U.S. did find some concrete evidence that the coronavirus was a bioweapon, or somehow associated with bioweapons research, it's unlikely that the information will do any good anyway mostly because the information will unlikely be to be released to protect the sources and methods used to get the information. The same sort of scenario happened in the Second World War. Japanese diplomatic communications were cracked long before the war even started, but for the most part, intelligence analysts couldn't tell anybody about the information they gathered because everyone would be like, hey, how, do you, how did you know that? How did you get that information? There are many, many examples of this unfortunate but common reality of analytical work uh, over time, but this highly generalized example is one that we can actually safely talk about. Additionally, even if the U.S. had proof that the coronavirus is a bioweapon, or linked in some way to bioweapons research, what good would it do to tell the world this? It would instantly freak everyone out. The economy would tank more than it already is right now. And for what? some United Nations sanction that wouldn't do anything anyway. What's a far better use of time is to examine what the coronavirus means to defense policy, which is what we're going to be focusing on for the foreseeable future. So let's assume for a moment that the virus is not a bioweapon. Let's assume that it indeed did originate from an open-air wet market. This would mean that a virus, which hasn't been engineered to be more lethal, to be more contagious or have a longer latency period and hasn't been aerosolized and sprayed over an area, has spread around the world so quickly and has done trillions of dollars worth of damage already and is just getting started. So by this line of logic, this virus, this puzzle piece, isn't running away from anyone, it isn't concealing itself, it isn't being secretly spread by troops or anything, and it isn't actively fighting efforts to contain it, it's simply existing, and humans in their everyday lives are doing the heavy lifting. Imagine for a moment how devastatingly horrifying things would be if this was a military technology. Defense industries around the world have long been interested in pursuing research that is intended to further the countering of chemical, biological, nuclear, and radiological threats. But for the most part, the technology hasn't changed that much. Arguably, the U.S. and other Five Eyes nations, as well as Russia, have been the leaders of this research due to the arms race. Consequently, most of the research that's been conducted... Uh, and much of the efforts to prevent CBRN threats have really focused on the C and the N. Uh, This is altogether understandable, seeing as chemical and nuclear weapons are the only ones that have either seen widespread or devastating usage in warfare, and the effects of which are decently easy enough to counter against. To sort of see where I'm going with this, uh, just take a look at the gear that soldiers are issued and for simplicity's sake we're just going to be talking about U.S. CBRN gear um, for a second. The Joint Service Lightweight Integrated Suit Technology or JLIST, is the current set of gear that soldiers of all branches of the military, U.S. contractors, and DOD civilians are issued. It's also used by many federal law enforcement agencies as well as other federal departments. And here's a rough list of the components. Uh, first up, a protective mask, in this case the Avon M50 mask, uh, although the M40 mask is still issued and used by many units and departments. Um, of course, uh, spare filters for the mask, a two-piece outer garment or overgarment consisting of a coat and trousers, chemical gloves and overboots, as well as uh, chemical agent detectors such as uh, the M8 chemical agent detector paper, sometimes M9 chemical agent detector paper is in there as well, um, as well as chemical decontamination supplies and kits. Um, Sometimes nerve agent antidote kits are issued as well, although that is becoming extremely rare nowadays and are usually held by the CBRN officer or medical staff and usually not the individual soldier. Uh, So, based on this gear, it's quite interesting to note that in the acronym CBRN, the only threat that's really neglected is the B, or biological threats. No N95 mask has ever been included in the standard loadout as far as we know, nor has a bottle of hand sanitizer. And why is that? Is this on purpose, or a lack of threat, or what? Well, it turns out it's a little both. Uh, If you look back over the years, chemical and nuclear threats have really been the hot items to prep for, at least on a national defense level. Chemical weapons, while technically not that effective in terms of actual use in warfare, are highly effective terror weapons and have a long history of actually being used in warfare, no matter the cost. And here's a not-so-fun fact on that. Uh, Many people think of chemical weapons being so horrific that they were banned after the conclusion of the Great War, World War I. This isn't true. The Hague Convention of 1899 specifically banned, quote, "...the use of projectiles, the sole objective of which is the diffusion of asphyxiating and deleterious gases." That's right, chemical warfare was more or less banned before the war that was made famous for its use. So with that logic, a large portion of defense policy focuses on chemical threats, even today. Nuclear and radiological threats are also heavily focused on, but since the intricacies of defending against and surviving a nuclear attack are actually quite simple, albeit difficult, there's frankly not that much emphasis put on new technologies to survive nuclear attack now anyways. So it appears that the sort of elephant in the room is biological threats. And why is that? Well, unlike chemical threats that can be detected quickly, uh, protected against easily, and decontaminated simply in the field, biological threats are something of a mystery, even to the highly trained military forces around the world. This is due to several reasons. But one of the big ones is that in years past, biological threats simply weren't that prevalent. Yes, Saddam Hussein's regime did actually have a comparatively large biological weapons program manufacturing anthrax, botulinum, and aflatoxin in an attempt to weaponize these agents. Uh, Fortunately, Saddam's regime suffered from the same problems that other regimes have also encountered over the years, it was quite difficult to manufacture bioweapons. Also, the prevailing thought that's often quoted over the years, usually with no data to back it up, is that even if you are able to make a great bioweapon and keep it alive in the field, it's actually quite difficult to disperse efficiently, which drastically reduces the effectiveness of a bioweapon. Another often quoted downfall of bioweapons is that they are usually easily defended against with vaccines, as was actually the case with anthrax. Before the anthrax vaccine, I remember the defense community being very concerned with the existence of anthrax, um, especially when unstable dictatorships intended to add it to their arsenal. But those fears all but went away as soon as the U.S. developed the anthrax vaccine, which made anthrax an obsolete tool of war. But if you do your own research, you can't really find any significant public research that's been done on bioweapons since the anthrax scare of 2001. Uh, Even behind closed doors, there really isn't much talk about bioweapons, at least that we have eyes on. It's almost like bioweapons are treated like mustard gas in that it's an antiquated technology that we have some protection for, i.e. promask, but aren't really concerned about in the long run. At least that's the atmospherics in our small part of the extremely diverse intelligence community. So now we have a virus. A virus that is either a bioweapon that somehow got out or an innocently derived illness, but nonetheless has destroyed the global economy and forced roughly 40 million Americans to shelter in their homes, only leaving for food and other essentials for survival. We've got reports popping up all over social media of military units everywhere outright disregarding the policies laid out by the leading experts to prevent the spread of the virus. We've had extremely odd supply shortages, as well as many companies retooling their factories to make PPE products and other supplies. What a strange time we live in. Our prediction, for what it's worth, is that the coronavirus has served to find the gaps in our national defense policies. Those previous assumptions that bioweapons are hard to keep alive, hard to disperse efficiently, and easy to defend against may be assumptions that can no longer be relied upon. In our not so humble opinion, we have at the very least entered into a new age of national policy, from defense to trade to everything in between. Since we cannot reliably say, nor do we enjoy waxing about the prospects of national policy in general, Here's a purely speculative look at how we think the defense industry in particular will likely adapt this new age. For one, we are expecting a huge wave of military technical innovation. Simply put, I think that this coronavirus outbreak will lead to an industrial revolution with regards to bioweapon defense, possibly to include a total overhaul of the entire CBRN field. Federal CBRN entities are already getting essentially unlimited funding right now for research, a field that previously went neglected for the most part. In other words, researching better CBRN gear designs and technologies isn't nearly as sexy as researching new rifles, at least until now. So looking out into the future, I would not be surprised if we started seeing implementation of N95 masks, sanitizers, and thermometers into a soldier's kit, at minimum. We will also likely see some sort of field test for biological agents, where previously a highly sophisticated lab has been needed. We may even see, and this is spitballing here, some sort of sensor, a chemical light source or other technology that might allow us to visually see contaminants. This idea is, of course, purely theoretical right now, but this kind of technology would be invaluable on the battlefield and regular civilian life. We may also see a new evolution of disposable masks. Medical professionals everywhere know that an N95 or surgical mask is simply the best, cheapest, good enough method for everyday common usage. Our guess is that this technology may be improved, We already have products like the Ready Mask on the market, which is a face mask that incorporates a plastic eye shield and adhesive to stick the mask to the face, uh, effectively offering full face protection in a small, pocket-sized package. We may also see a drastic change in hygiene doctrine to include everything from widespread usage of UVC light bulbs to kill pathogens to things like changing training schedules, uh, billeting, chow halls, and military exercises to minimize person-to-person contact. To go along with these doctrine changes, we may see more uniform changes that include antimicrobial chemicals, which are rapidly becoming more common and cheaper on the civilian markets, especially in the nursing community. Due to the prevailing idea within government that a potential terrorist is a terrorist, we are also likely to see a vast increase in state surveillance and intelligence activities so as to prevent the development and proliferation of bioweapon technology in the future. Granted, the surveillance state and military-industrial complex were going to get bigger anyway, uh, virus or no virus, but the impact that the coronavirus has had on military operations will almost certainly cause the lines between defense and the private sector to blur even more. And speaking of changes, the changes to the private or at least non-defense sector are sure to change dramatically as well. Technologies and practices that at face value aren't really related to national defense, but actually are, due to the virus, will almost certainly increase. Things like the thermal cameras that have been set up at airports will almost certainly become more widespread and even things like temperature checks at passport control counters may become commonplace. We may even see the widespread use of facial masks in urban areas in Western cultures. At minimum, we expect that even if people don't start wearing masks in a widespread fashion, uh, those that do choose to wear masks might not automatically be demonized and mocked for doing so. We may even see a national increase in private citizens getting interested in, in emergency preparedness in general. But perhaps that's just hopeful ideations. But within that idea, we may see a change in the quote-unquote prepper movement. Historically, the prepping movement has had a sort of infamous air about it, thanks in no small part to media coverage and the entirety of the History Channel over the past 20 years. Also, people within the prepping community have become more, uh, I hesitate to use the word famous, but that's what it is, uh, over the past few years. Uh, They've widened the idea of prepping to a larger audience and haven't been like the crazy guy who buys a full NBC suit um, but only has like a day or two worth of food at his house. In other words, even within the prepping community, the idea of taking even basic steps to prep for a CBRN event understandably hasn't really been a priority. Most preppers, uh, YouTube preppers, celebrities, and even government agencies have routinely placed CBRN gear dead last with regards to what you should buy when you want to get into the field of prepping, or even if you just want to be more emergency preparedness-minded in general. And rightly doing so, no one should buy CBRN gear before food and water. But the coronavirus has blunted the beak of this line of logic and suggested that CBRN gear just maybe deserves to be placed a little higher on that list of importance. In this light, it's very possible that we will see a renewed interest in the field of CBRN prepping, and new private sector technologies and systems will invariably spring up to meet this rising demand. Right now, we are seeing the widespread impacts of what a future biological attack could look like, even if the coronavirus isn't a bioweapon. Currently, we're seeing a reality that, while some people have prepared for, the vast majority of civilians, government officials, militaries, pretty much everyone had thought would never, ever happen. Simply put, if we look at the scale of most likely threat versus most deadly threats, before this outbreak, that needle was swung firmly into the most deadly area with regards to bioweapons, meaning that it was far more uh, in the area of a worst-case scenario than anything, and not very likely at all. But now, we think that needle may start to swing back towards the most likely side of things, at least for the defense industry. Something that was previously shrugged off by senior military leadership is still not being taken seriously, even though military units should be treating this global outbreak like it's a biological attack. But no, units are still training, having meetings, holding formations, and no PPE has been issued, at least on a widespread scale yet. For quite literally decades, military leadership has focused on a soldier's ability to run fast, and not necessarily doing their job or developing critical thinking skills, which we are now seeing the effects of. So it's business as usual for most military units, even though we should be treating it like a hostile act. As the modern world really hasn't seen anything like the coronavirus before, the exact impacts can't be reliably predicted, so for the most part, these ideas are purely speculative in nature. But what can be reliably predicted, even at this stage, before the worst of it hits, is that almost every facet of society will change because of the virus the world will simply not look the same, nor will society be the same, as before October 2019. Which is quite a powerful thought. While we, on a national level, will certainly have lessons learned from this coronavirus outbreak, that doesn't mean that ordinary people like us shouldn't make course corrections in our lives as we go through the crisis and learn as we go. And of course, we can't sign off without mentioning our store on Teespring, the link of which is below. Also, Discord is rapidly becoming a major tool for us. We post live updates almost every hour throughout the day, and we also have the link to our new battle tracking map on Discord as well. Our new map is basically a poor man's, civilian's version of ATAC, and is hosted through Google Earth. This way, you can have live updates to checkpoints, quarantine barriers, and other intelligence matters right on your phone, totally anonymous. And with that, we're out for this week, and we will catch you next time. As always, find the shade. Let's do actual out.